0: Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham.
1: <laughs> welcome, 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 welcome! I always get a kick out of that intro. Thank you to to our voiceover artist and my partner in crime, my co-producer Ryan Treasure at Voice America. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Let's check and see what the buzz is today. Okay, remember, everyone. I, I don't know how old our listening audiences around the world. There were more than forty thousand of you last month, that we're so happy you're listening. Remember when you could say to someone, "I'm going to go to the bank," and people knew what you meant. You knew what you meant. You went to a place you had had tellers and there were windows maybe they didn't have a protective uh, gun gun protective shield in front of them you waited on a line what were you doing there you deposited money or you withdrew money maybe you bought a money order maybe you bought a savings bond Oh, am I harking back to the good old days? You might even have received a toaster as the bank's gift for opening a new checking account with the minimum balance. Maybe it was 50 bucks. Maybe it was 500. Maybe it was 5,000. Oh, those were the simple days of banking. But were we happy with these banks in quotes? Did we tell the banking gurus that we wanted more options? Fast forward a lot of years and welcome to the world of fintech. That's a combination of finance and technology. Here's a little bit about our world of fintech from an article I found at fortune.com. Listen up, this will set the stage and then I'm going to introduce you to my four Gurus are going to help us figure this all out. And they're going to be making predictions about where fintech is taking you and me and our money. So here's a couple of quotes from the article. Number one, banks as institutions don't really exist anymore. Customer activities exist and financial services exist, and they're part of a complex and perpetually shifting network of problems and solutions. Okay, so the article agrees with me. It's complex. It's changing. Here's another one. Customers' expectations have changed every bit as much for financial services as for the music industry. Change is overdue. Well, we know how we consume music today. We download it. We stream it. Who buys records anymore? I've got a bunch of vinyls in my closet. Got to connect the old micro turn table and listen to them once in a while. Here's one more about the perspective of the fintechs. Fintech companies face costly compliance with a mountain of financial regulations, most of which don't describe work we don't do. This is from the perspective of fintechs. Like many tech-driven industries, regulations are horribly outdated, authored at a time when an app meant fries for the whole table, as in appetizer, and spam was canned meat. Imagine running a business under laws written before your industry or product ever existed. That's the reality for most fintechs. Congress's directions for regulators about what quote-unquote banks are and do are based on how banking worked in the 1970s. So now you know our setup for today. We're talking about banking on the future, Vintech's finance makeover. Now, let me tell you who my four special guests are, and then we're going to have them introduce themselves. In a moment, you'll be hearing from Penny Crossman. She spells her last name C-R-O-S-M-A-N-1-S, Editor-at-Large at American Banker. Welcome. Penny and I haven't spoken in a couple of years. I found her on LinkedIn and said come on back, and she accepted. So, thank you. Brett King, who is also a podcaster radio host here at Voice America on the Business Channel. Happy to meet you, Brett. He is the founder of Provoke Media. I like the way that's. Sounds and the Breaking Bank's podcast. Brett will be with us for just about twenty minutes. He has to he has some medical issues, but he we're so happy that you're giving us some of your time, Brett. Usman Ajaz is coming to us from Deloitte Consulting and Uzman came to me through our good contact at Deloitte, Carla Neil Slavin. So Uzman, thank you for joining us. And then we have Jerry Silva at IDC Financial Insights who was on another banking show with me recently. Welcome panelists. Penny Crossman, briefly please tell us what you do and what this topic means to you.
2: Um, sure. Thanks, and thanks so much for having me. I appreciate Pleasure. it. Pleasure. I, I uh, am a journalist. I work at a publication called American Banker. We are an online daily news site. We also have a monthly magazine, which has some uh, projects like most powerful women in banking, that um, the industry, you know, best banks to work for. I think the industry follows pretty closely. I also host the weekly American Banker podcast. And I help uh, create and sometimes host some of our conferences, like we have a digital banking conference, a bank AI conference, a RegTech tech
1: conference. And
2: we regularly cover a lot of these topics that we're going to be talking about today. So um, yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks again.
1: Thank you, Penny. Pleasure to have you back and reconnect with you. The pleasures of LinkedIn, right? Finding people and reconnecting and making new ones. Brett King, welcome. You're a pro at this, the Breaking, baking, breaking Banks <laughs> podcast. Brett, sorry you're having some issues with your ear today, but we're thrilled that you're joining us. So, Brett, please introduce yourself to my listeners.
3: Do I have to use my radio right voice?
1: You're welcome to use any voice you want, dear.
3: <laughs> well, actually, you know, Penny is also a regular on my podcast radio show, so it's great for, for us to work together. Anytime we work together, it's, it's, it's productive. Um, but, uh, yeah, I run the Breaking Banks radio show. I also run a Challenger Bank, which is um, one of these new banks that are digital only. We started in 2011 called Movin. Um, so we serve a bunch of Americans, uh, about a quarter of a million uh, so far. Um, and I, run, um, I, I write on fintech and the banking space. I've written a series of books in the, in the space. And, um, uh, my latest book, Bank 4.0, came out in December last year. It's called Banking Everywhere, Never at a Bank.
1: Perfect. I've got to get a hold of that book. Very, very interesting. Thank you, Breton, and uh, thank you for joining us. Now, Usman Ejaz at Deloitte. Usman, you and I have never met, so please introduce yourself to me and our listeners.
4: Hi, everyone. Thank you, Bonnie, for having me. Mm -hmm. Uh, My name is Usman Ejaz. I work at Deloitte Consulting. Uh, I lead Deloitte Consulting's finance practice, helping companies implement large software systems to manage their sales, operations, and finance. I've been in technology and consulting for over 15 years now, managing, designing, and implementing SAP solutions for Deloitte's largest global clients. And we see a lot of disruption in technology and finance. And I'm, I'm glad to be on your show today to talk
3: about it.
1: Thank you very much. Pleasure to meet you. And thanks for your time. Jerry Silva, refresh everybody. You were on the air with me a couple of weeks ago on a different series. Tell everybody what you do, Jerry.
0: Yeah, so I must have done something right if you're having me back again.
1: <laughs>
3: That's
0: uh, so you're I, I call myself a recovering banker of 35 years. I've been in the banking <laughs> industry since, since day one out of college. Currently, Vice President of Research for IDC Financial Insights, uh, responsible
3: for the Global Banking Research Program.
1: Okay, thank you very much. Yes, you did do something
3: right. A reformed banker.
1: A reformed banker. You did do (laughs) something right. Now, here's the part (laughs) of the show. Uh, before we get to the predictions, I've asked my guests to each send me a quote from a movie, a book, a song, a famous or not-so-famous person. So I'm going to ask them to explain what their quote has to do with the topic today. So Penny Crossman, an American banker, sent us a quote from Marcus Aurelius's Meditations. If those of you haven't run into Marcus Aurelius at a coffee shop recently, that's because he lived from the year 121 to 180. They counted the other way. He was a Roman emperor and a Stoic philosopher, the last Of the rulers known as the Five Good Emperors. Oh, my. Here's the quote Never let the future disturb you. You will meet it if you have to with the same weapons of reason which today arm you against the present. Ooh, Penny, there's a hard work in there trying to figure that one out. Talk to me. What does this have to do with with fintech? Go ahead. (laughs) Well, you know, it
2: may be a little bit of a stretch, and I I realize it's not from a movie or song. I apologize. No, that's fine. uh, It's part of the overall Stoic philosophy of not allowing oneself to be disturbed by the things that happen and kind of realizing that when something bothers us, it's the way we're thinking about it, the way we're looking at it that's bothering us and not the thing itself. So to change our lens on it. So in this case, I think the thing is to, you know, not look at, oh my God, everything's changing and what are we going to do? But look at it in terms of, Hmm, maybe there's opportunity here. Maybe there's some, you know, beneficial things happening here, and maybe there are ways that, you know, we can take advantage of this. So it, it, it's it, it's sort of a overall way of looking at the future and in in a in a positive way and in a um, a thoughtful. Uh, calm away and not, um, not getting too like worried or panicky about the future.
1: Thank you, Penny. I love the part of the quote where it says the same weapons of reason that today arm you against the present. I think Marcus Aurelius is alive and well somewhere. I think he's listening to the show because that part is so so current, isn't it? Weapons of reason. We are trying to be reasonable as at banking, at all kinds of things we're doing. I won't get political, I promise. Thank you, Penny. <laughs> love the quote. There's a lot of depth there. I think we could do a whole hour pa- breaking apart that quote. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Brett King sent us a quote from one of our favorite movies. This is Back to the Future 3 from 1990. Christopher Lloyd played Doc Emmett Brown. Those of you who don't know the movie, it's uh, an American science fiction film, the final installment of the Back to the Future trilogy. It starred, let's see, uh, Marty McFly, which wh- who is Michael J. Fox, uh, his friend Dr. Emmett Brown, played by Christopher Lloyd, trapped in 1885, blah, 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 blah. Marty travels 1895 to rescue Doc and return to 1985, but matters are accomplished when Doc falls in love with school teacher Clara Clayton, played by Mary Steenburge the one and only. Okay, enough. Here's the quote. Your future hasn't been written yet. No one's has. Your future is whatever you make it, so make it a good one. Brett King, how did you pick this quote for today?
3: Marty, Marty. <laughs> yeah, Doc Brown. Um, no, um, I, I, I think that if you look at the fintech space, a lot of people you know, are doing a lot of analysis of what's happening to banks, is it good or bad. One thing you recognize um, of, if you look back at technology change, and, and being a good futurist means looking at the past as well, is that it's sort of inevitable, this change, technology um, shift. And so I think Doc Brown's quote is a good one. The future is what you make it. Um, if you resist the change history tells us you'll be a victim of that change. Um, and so while we like things to stay the same and we, we, uh, we think back to the good old times, you know, um, the American dream in the 1960s and 1970s, we're constantly going through evolution. Technology is a big driver of that. And I think you can choose whether or not you work in that future productively, whether you have a role in that future um based on whether you're willing to embrace it um and then the other part of it is is I guess I'm an optimist
1: yeah I like the optimism part. Thank you very much. And we're all part of this future. As I mentioned in my opening, Brett, we were saying we as a collective peoples all over the world, we want more options in banking. We want different things. I don't think it just came from tech people sitting in front of a computer and saying, hmm, how can I expand banking and do something virtual and give people options? I think we were letting people know. We were letting them know we want something different. So, it's a partnership. Thank you, Brett. You're still with us for a few more minutes, and I think we'll be able to get to one of your predictions in just a few minutes. Usman is up next. Usman sent us a quote from the one and only Mark Twain, original name Samuel Langhorn Clemens, 1835 to 1910. Mark Twain was his pen name, an American writer, humorist, entrepreneur, publisher, lecturer. He was lauded as the greatest humorist this country has ever produced at the time, and Faulkner called him the father of American literature. And when you think of the great American novels, That's one of his books, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, 1884. He also wrote The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Think of that little reed of of, uh, something grass in your mouth and floating down the river on a lazy summer day on a raft. I wish I was there. Usman sent us this quote. 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things that you didn't do than by the things you did do. Usman, how does this relate to our topic? Please.
4: Yeah, I, I had to say that uh, this attribution actually is not officially verified, but this quote is very regularly credited to to Mark Twain. Uh, so, yes, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you did not do than the ones you, you did do. And really what this is saying is similar to what, what Brett said earlier, that the change is inevitable. It's coming, whether we like it or not. So it applies to typically some of our traditional industries, that That do not you know stay ahead of the curve or are not willing to embrace change quickly, so this quote speaks to that that you fast forward twenty years, companies and individuals will be more disappointed with things that they did not try or do rather than the things that they tried, even if they were not that successful and And we see this all the time during our engagements with with our clients. The most successful ones are often the ones who are accepting of change.
1: Thank you, Isman. I love the quote. I think that's a, those are words to live by for all of us, regardless of what we do in, our, in life, as pastimes and as our professions. Jerry Silva, you're up next. Jerry sent us a quote from Abraham Maslow. Abraham Harold Maslow, 1908 to 1970, American psychologist known for creating Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, which was a theory of psychological health predicated on fulfilling innate human needs in priority, culminating in self-actualization. I have a degree in psychology. Jerry, and and this is even hard to take apart. So here's the quote. Everybody's going to love this quote. To the man who only has a hammer, everything he encounters begins to look like a nail. Jerry, relate this to FinTech, please.
3: Well,
0: it's funny because that one is attributed to um, Samuel as well, Mark Twain. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure exactly who came up with this one.
1: Good enough.
0: um, I I thought about this because of not only FinTech, but the siloed nature of, of current banking organizations where everyone, you know, I, I walk into a fintech conference and someone has a very pinpoint kind of solution around KYC or authentication or lending origination, you no know, small part of lending origination, and they call themselves financial services. Mm-hmm. And, they're you know, if you sit through the presentations, they seem to have the entire market covered, but not realizing that they're just a small component of this holistic experience that customers are looking for. And, and I'm not just blaming the fintechs here. Even banks themselves, if you talk to the the head of small business lending, everything in the world to him looks like small business lending is the thing, right? And so here I'm trying to say, well, no, you got to step back and, and think, yes, you're an important part of this holistic, you know, experience, but you have to realize that you're just that part of it. And uh, I think going forward, we're going to be seeing a lot more collaboration, hopefully, in order to create that kind of experiential um, ecosystem for the for the
1: customer. Thank you very much, Jerry. Good quotes from everybody. We did actually get one movie quote in there. No song quotes today, but sometimes we get them and sometimes we don't. Now it's time for predictions. Each of my panelists graciously and generously sent me four predictions about this topic, FinTech and banking. So I'm going to read one from each of you and have you just tell us a minute and a half or so what this means. What is this prediction all about? So Penny Crossman sent me the following prediction number one FinTech challenger banks will continue to gain traction. Penny, you're up. Thank you. Um, well, as as you heard
2: earlier from Brett King, he's got a fintech mm-hmm. challenger bank called MoveIn that has been gaining traction. I don't know the latest numbers. He'll probably share, but um, the last I heard, it was at least a quarter billion people use it. There's one called Chime that now has five million users, and the CEO mm. predicts he'll have 25 million users in the next uh, by the end of the next five years. There's another one called Money Lion that has 4 million users. There's one called Capital that has about 1.5 million users. There are some that uh, were started in the UK or in Europe um, that are coming over here and setting up shop, like Monzo and N26. And there's also a strong possibility that they will gain a lot of traction. So, you know, these challenger banks just offer a often a better experience, lower fees, Um, easier access to uh, financial information, easier way to use your money, budget, uh, plan for, save for goals, and uh, and things like that. And they've just, you know, for a while, they were growing very slowly. And just like in the past year, they've been growing more quickly. Um, On the other side of that, some of the large banks have been kind of adopting some of the ideas of the challenger banks and offering their own, digital banking or, you know, mobile banking apps that do a lot of the, you know, some of the same things. Um, You know, Bank of America, for instance, has a mobile banking app that now has a virtual assistant called Erica where people can ask questions and get answers. Hmm. And that's something that some of the challenger banks um, started doing, started offering that kind of advice first. And a lot of the big banks have been adding more and more capability to their mobile banking apps such that. They are getting more competitive. So, so the end result is there's a lot of competition between these newcomers and the incumbent banks. And the end result is that there's a lot of improvement in the way that that ordinary people can access our money. <clears throat> excuse me. See what we're doing. See where our money's going, um, and and try to plan for the future, and uh, you know handle our money in a better informed way.
1: So that's only going to continue. Thank you very much. The term challenger bank is brand new to me, and, and I should ask Brett. Brett, can you just briefly tell us what a challenger bank is since you founded one? And then I'm going to go to your first prediction. But, Brett, can you define what is a, what qualifies as a challenger bank?
3: So there's multiple ways of describing these new emerging banking models, which are digital only. Um, some of them call them digital pure plays; others call them neo banks. Um, but sort of the the industry term that seems to have to is the challenger bank, and that's because they're challenging the incumbents with new ways of banking. Um, and so, if you take one, um, you know, factor Jerry mentioned KYC. You know, the industry joke is that KYC, when you're talking about Know, incumbent bank stands for kill your customers with paperwork. <laughs> um, but with digital banks, it's all real time. You know, so you can open a bank account with a challenger bank typically in about 60 seconds through an app.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, but of course, from... From the vast majority of traditional banks in the U.S., you still need to walk into a bank branch, provide physical uh, uh, identification, and you know, sign a piece of paper to open an account. So you know they're challenging these traditional banks in terms of the way they operate, their business model, their cost effectiveness, their cost of acquisition, the uh, lack of friction for customer experiences, and mm-hmm. overall a better design in terms of the technology so it's more helpful day-to-day for customers.
1: Interesting. Let me just ask you a quick question, pick your brain, Brett. Um, If Well, we all know that stockbrokers, brokerages offer checking accounts linked to your money market or some other vehicle where you, you have money that will support the checking. Is that considered a challenger bank or is that considered a fintech branch of the investment brokerage? the fact that they offer
3: not, what not we unless, would normally get from yeah not unless they've been you know up built from the ground up around technology so the one mm-hmm. the big difference you're talking about with um, you know the challenges in terms of their organizational structure and their design approach to the bank is that it's technology first and got so it. where you've got banks use tech it's already mm-hmm. always banking process banking policy banking rules first and they'll fit technology in where they can but technology generally, um, you know, parallels the products and the processes they have in the bank branch. So it's an extension of the branch, whereas the challenges all start from scratch, you know, with a view of how would we build a bank account today if we had never had bank branches and what Mm -hmm. would that look like?
1: Thank you. Now, let's go to your number one prediction. You're going to have to unpack this for me. I know you have to leave in a few minutes. Brett's number one prediction is the role of regulators. He says, as we encode regulation into AI, that's artificial intelligence, regulators will become tech organizations and will move from policy and policing to supervision and design. Brett, please please translate for us.
3: Okay, well, you know, in the U.S. you have over 70 regulators, you know, attached to the banking and payment space. Um, state regulators, uh, you have federal regulators, you have different federal regulators that uh, manage different parts of the, uh, the banking space. And so the, the system of how you get a banking license and um, how you open accounts and the requirements in terms of identifying customers all comes through that regulatory space that's the legal framework of how you can legally operate a bank in the United States. Um, But some of that is woefully out of date, as you mentioned in your introduction. Um, You know, one of the primary regulations today is what we call the Community Reinvestment Act. Um, It was established in 1977, the same year Star Wars was the number one movie, and um, you know, Staying Alive was a number one uh, 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 record or album. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is that this was designed to create financial inclusion, access to credit facilities and things like that. At the time, we thought the best way to do that was get someone to come into a branch. And so there's regulation today that says if you're the last bank in a town, you, you you can't close a bank branch because that will stop people from getting access to day-to-day banking. But, of course, today we've got smartphones with apps and we've got internet screens and, you know, web browsers and stuff like that that give us a whole range of options. And so um, regulators, to be more effective um, at serving um, the the general public and getting them access to financial services, also need to adapt like like the banks. Um, And so, for example, if you look at things like anti-money laundering or identity verification, Um, We're seeing in multiple markets now that this is shifting very strongly towards a technology approach using machine learning and artificial intelligence and, um, you know, uh, biometric like facial uh, recognition, for example, in China, um, which is actually far more secure um, for the end consumer using a banking service than the way we do it today with, a, with a, what they call a wet signature in the banking space, so a physical signature on a piece of paper or a PIN number or a password. Those mechanisms um, we sort of proved uh, are no longer securable for the majority of people. That's why we have problems with identity theft and so forth. So for regulators to stay um, competent and being able to manage risk for customers and banks they need to start regulating technology companies as technology players in that ecosystem rather than forcing them to act like banks were in the 1970s. So the regulation will have to adapt and the laws and policies and all of those things we've had in the past will end up in, you know, in code base as part of artificial intelligence run by probably the regulators or banking uh, uh, you know, co-ops um, and that will be the way we'll, you know, for example, deal with identity in the banking space in the future.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you, Brett. Brett, do you have to leave us? I see here that we're at the halfway mark. Are you uh, yeah, on your to way to a, a doctor's appointment? Yeah, I've got to make i got to get to
3: the ear, nose and throat specialist. So I apologize for that because uh, you know, we, we had scheduled this some time ago. But uh, thanks for the opportunity to be on the show and uh, for right. your listeners listening to the show. If they want to learn more about fintech, they can check out Breaking Banks on Voice America Business Channel also.
1: Absolutely. We're all we're all collaborating partnerships here on Business Talk, Absolutely. on Business Radio. Thank you, Brett. Hope you feel better. Give my regards to Katie and your team. Thank you for all of the back and forth emails getting this ready. So we'll let you go, and we appreciate okay. everything you share with us. You, Bye, Brett. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Okay, Usman hey, Ejaz at Deloitte, I'm up to your. You know what, Brett touched on your first prediction, which was AI and machine learning will be everywhere. I'm going to go to your number two prediction, Usman, which is a different take on this. You say the number of people required to perform basic finance functions will decrease significantly. and You talk about touchless finance. Usman, tell us what this is, please. What do you predict?
4: Yeah, it's funny. This is basically, you know, what, what the um – the prediction is that the headcount in transactional finance functions will be reduced by seventy to ninety percent as these redesign processes enabled by a lot of the technologies that we talked about, whether it's robotic process automation, whether it's um, it's you know shared services it's AI machine learning all of that and even blockchain will automate the ways in which much of the routine processing work will go away and the focus will be more on on uh, decision making and and being able to uh, to transform the, the huge amount of data that's available into actionable insights this uh, automated transaction processing is something that you know happening today when we implement systems today there are companies where as an example all the the invoice processing for for their outbound vendor payments, all of that is is done automatically without anyone even even touching uh, the systems. And it's only based on exceptions where there are outliers which someone needs to look at and and uh, and deal with. So you know, this is really saying that all the the just the operational finance functions would happen by by systems and bots and automated processes.
1: Thank you very much. Very interesting. Jerry Silva, I'm looking at your predictions, and I want to go to number three because I think this is a hot topic that people will really relate to, our listeners around the world, and you're talking about financial AI butlers. You say AI-based agents, and AI keeps popping up in our conversation, AI-based agents like Alexa. I have to whisper because she'll talk to me from the other room if I say her name out loud. Alexa and Siri, she'll talk to me from my phone. We'll either listening. We'll evolve into full-service butlers, changing the ways consumers and businesses manage their financial lives. Oh, tell us more, Jerry Silver.
0: <laughs> well, first of all, Bonnie, I want I to take you back to a comment you made earlier about how many vinyl LPs you own. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but it was just announced that vinyl LPs just outsold CDs for the first time ever.
1: I've heard uh, so they're I, making you know, a was, comeback. My granddaughters exactly. told me that they're, one of them gave the other some vinyl for her, for her 17th birthday. <laughs> I said, What? <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> okay, thank you for that, Jerry. So, so as, talk to me about these AI venture. agents. What are they going to do for us? These butlers.
0: So yeah, so this this started with a, a demonstration I saw from a technology vendor. I thought it was, it was one of those things where it had a big cool factor. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I, again, I'm kind of like the reins to pull back and say, okay, hold on, let's look at the whole thing first. But they showed a demonstration of a of a corporate treasure waking waking up in the morning. And then, while he or she's getting dressed in the in the bedroom, says, "Alexa, what's my position today?" And Alexa goes out to their institution, gathers up all their account information, and comes back and says, "You're you're doing well, except this one account will be in the red by noon." And these are the three options we can do to kind of you know, prevent that from happening. And the treasurer thinks about it and says, "Okay, let's move money from this account to this amount uh, mm-hmm. to this account. Move this amount of money." And then Alexa goes away, commits the transaction, and comes back and says, "Okay, you're all set for the day." And I thought I thought that was powerful, just from a user perspective. Um, you know, as, as I've mentioned to you before, Bonnie, one of my, one of my favorite quotes is, um, "Any any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic." And that to me was a perfect example of combining technologies. You know, chatbot at the front end, um, AI uh, course core banking systems, what-if scenarios, using some sort of AI in the background, you know, analytics, that kind of thing, putting that all together and making it look like magic at the front end.
3: Mm-hmm. Now,
0: as far as I know, that, that particular example doesn't exist yet, but I think if we take that even a half step further, we're talking about being able to walk into a Best Buy um, and then talking into your phone and saying, you know, Siri or, or whoever, you know, Google, can I afford this laptop? And then the... Wow. the agent goes off and says, well, you can, but that'll put you short in terms of cash flow, or you can, but, and then even more importantly, more powerfully, um, why don't you wait? You know, and I know J.P. Morgan Chase kind of got in trouble for doing this. Why don't you wait until next month when, when you're better <laughs> off affording it? Or if you move money from your kid's college fund, <laughs> you'll be able to afford it. You know, Those kinds of things. So it's about making that experience seamless and almost magic-like for the consumer or the small business or the corporate treasurer. And that takes a lot of technology in the background to make it look like magic in the front. But I think that's where we're headed.
1: I'm I'm laughing and, and smiling and crying at the same time, Jerry. I'm thinking of if you took it out of the Best Buy context and put it into a supermarket and you're standing there saying, Can I afford the organic bananas versus the plain the plain out of the dirt bananas? Can I afford the difference between forty nine cents a pound and a dollar eighty nine? Exactly.
4: Exactly.
1: I'm, or, or, I'm sorry, know, getting, I, getting I had to say that. Up. Penny Crossman, we're going back around the table. Another prediction, Penny right on the heels of what Jerry just talked about. I I'd like to go to your prediction number three, dashboards. You say consumers will eventually get dashboards through which they or we can easily see all of our finances in one place. Is this a dream? Is this what we really want? And what do you think, Penny? How far <laughs> off is this? Talk to me. Yeah, I think it's related
2: to what Jerry was saying. Yeah. but In this case, I'm not talking about that, that chatbot or voice interaction mm-hmm. uh, that Jerry was talking about, but more um, on an app or on a website being able to see everything that you have, no matter where it is, and in real time, and being able to make changes and, and uh, make good decisions based on having all that information in one place, and I think we're gradually starting to see this as more of these uh, traditional and uh, traditional financial institutions and fintechs uh, partner with each other and build connections with each other through APIs and get involved with third party. Uh, sort of virtual marketplaces like this one run by Even Financial, where companies are kind of building these connections with each other that allow any one of them to offer an entry point to the consumer where they can see uh, all their financial picture in one place. Um, In the case of what Even Financial is doing, they are building all these bridges between different companies. Like, for instance, they have... uh, Goldman Sachs, and uh, they have SoFi and American Express, three pretty large financial institutions. SoFi is a a, um, refinancer of student loans, but they also Mm -hmm. offer other financial services too. And they're they're connecting companies like that with companies like Credit Sesame, the penny hoarder, and also uh, other third parties like insurance companies and tax preparers. So, so for instance, you might go in and be filing your taxes with an online tax preparer, and you find out that you owe $10,000, well, you might get a pop-up window that shows you offers from uh, several different lenders that you already qualify for, because your information has been shared, and these companies are, are connected with each other such that... Um, that kind of instant uh, offer, an opportunity could be presented to you. I mean, that's another version of the dashboard idea, where um, there's just sort of this connective tissue
1: between different providers of, of financial products, if that makes sense. I think it would be wonderful, Penny. I would like to know, because I'll just leave this loosely on the table, kids. When you get to be a certain age and you've been through many jobs in different areas and you have retirement accounts here and there, you've moved from state to state. Of course, I'm not talking about myself. And, and one day your, your kids say to you, where's all the money? And you say, well, there's a little bit here and there's a little bit there and there's an account here and there's this, this annuity here and there's this retirement fund there. And then you have to start taking distributions a little bit out of this and a little bit of that and the tax implications and all of a sudden you're saying where am I? Where is my money? I think it would be almost a dream come true, Penny, to be able to see the bigger picture. We'll have to all give permission for that, won't we, Penny? There will be a lot of permission-based uh, and and introducing the institutions to each other or at least technically behind the scenes digitally that I give you permission to share this with my dashboard. Is that how it would work? Exactly.
2: Yeah, exactly. And there, there are a lot of financial companies that are working together on standards for that. Like there's an mm-hmm. o, there's a standard called OAuth that lets the – it gives the consumer an opportunity to – give consent to understand what data is going to be shared with another provider and, and limit or say yes or no and limit exactly what they share. So that's a big part of it. And, and a lot of it, you know, still has to be built. A lot of these partnerships still have to be built. A lot of these agreements still have to be built. But I do
1: think that's the direction we're going. I like it. I like it a lot. If I, if I, as my grandmother used to say, you should live so long. We'll leave that one alone. <laughs> 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 you all know. Usman, I'm looking at your number three prediction uh, and the word trust comes to mind. And we're talking with Penny about who, to whom do you trust and giving your information to whom and, and the regulations and the permissions. And so your number three relates to blockchain. You say the use of blockchain to establish trust between multiple entities will find several more use cases. So let's relate
4: that to our money and fintech. Usman, please. Yes. So Blockchain, I, I think, is, is a technology where when there are, there are multiple parties involved in a system and transacting with each other, and there may be a certain lack of trust, uh, that's where this technology comes in and establishes a network where the transaction between those two parties is on on this network that Cannot be changed or altered, and everyone has transparency to so what's happening in the network. And the most common use case we see in in the financial industry is uh, obviously the the digital currency, which which uh, you know which became very uh, prominent and and very public in in the recent days. The cryptocurrency, and that's where money is exchanging is getting exchanged between two parties, whether individuals or uh, on institutions and 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 people through this blockchain network, and there is no intermediary in between. There is no big bank. There is no exchange in between. The only exchange mm-hmm. is this public blockchain network. And I think, I think this is you know obviously going to fundamentally change and is changing the whole uh, financial industry. And there's several other use cases of blockchain beyond beyond fintech as well. But but for the purpose of today's discussion. I think cryptocurrency is the, the most obvious one.
1: Thank you very much. And we didn't even get into that. Thank you so much. Jerry Silva, I'm looking at another one of your predictions. This, uh, I think this ties in nicely with something Penny just talked about and, and Usman. And if Brett were here, he would agree with us. You talk about financing consumers' lives. Let me read this because there's a key word in here, Jerry, I want you to talk about. You say, the next disruption in banking will not come from technology but from the melding of financial services into the fabric of customers' lives. The future of industries will be based on partnerships and ecosystems of value. But here's what I want you to talk about. The bank's brand will be as powerful as its capabilities. Jerry, what are we talking about? Which bank, what brand, what does this have to do with the fabric of our lives?
0: So so this is really all of them, Bonnie. At IDC, we've just started this uh, initiative uh, called the Future Of. And we actually, Hmm. one of our categories is the future of industries. So we're not looking at, you know, how banking is going to be uh, evolving or how retail is going to evolve. But really, what is what do industries, how do they get together in ecosystems to, again, holistically serve, as I mentioned before, the consumer's needs? And I'll tell you one interesting thought experiment that we kind of walked through um, in, in our one of our first meetings was called the street. And so if you look at a consumer's experience when they, you know, visit an urban center, let's say. You know, they drive in, so they've got a car of some sort. It may not be a car they own. It may be a ride share. It could be a rental car or a a gig kind of uh, experience. Then they have to actually, or they could be coming in by train or something like that. They come in and they park someplace. So there's a meter, there's a parking lot. There's some, you know, there's some financial transaction that has to take place there. And then, you know, clearly they're going to retail shops they're going to restaurants and they're having, you know, everything they touch, essentially, almost everything they touch has some financial implication in the background. Mm-hmm. As well as retail, as well as supply chain, as well as, you know, smart city infrastructure. And so, you know, we're asking ourselves, what does that look like going forward? How do we leverage a technology like open API, microservices and the cloud to bring those individual industries together? and work as, as experienced, as an experiential ecosystem. And so in, if that's the case, then if you're a bank, you start to wonder, well, how, you know, how do, am I going to lose touch with my customer? Am I, am I going to lose that face, that first contact? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's, actually gonna, that's absolutely going to happen. But I think the brand is going to survive. And so here I think, you know, are, are you a JPMorgan Chase or Capital One where the brand means a lot, Mm-hmm. And you can start branding somehow in you know, a micro branding maybe these little experiences, and then make customers choose which institution they want to work with or which financial services provider they want to work with based on the fact that that they 've got a better brand and you know clearly the band, the brand is built through diversity through um, uh, trust, reliability uh, presence, so ubiquity in their ecosystems and so I think at that point as as those back office functions and features become I hate to say it, but as they become commodities, Mm -hmm. what else do you really have to trade by besides the brand?
1: And Jerry, the brand used to be, as I mentioned. I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember the day of the toaster and the the gifts, right? I don't know if they gave hair dryers or yep. toasters or cameras, but the brand was, "Hey, Mary, go down to the bank on the corner. They're giving away a free toaster. You got five hundred bucks to open a checking." Oh, yeah, I got to go there today. I need a toaster. That was the brand, wasn't it, Jerry? That was absolutely. That was part of the brand, Penny. Absolutely. You you remember those days, or you've heard of oh, them? Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, and and also having a personal relationship, I think. I remember remember my mother going into the branch, and, you know, the tellers and the branch manager knew her. They knew her. knew us kids, you know, could ask very personal questions about, you
1: know, house renovation or whatever it was. And, you know, it, it was a whole different world, really. I remember. Hello, how are you? At the window, the drive-up window when you deposit a check. Today, we put it in front of our smartphone. We click. It says, yes, you want to upload, yes. And it's, okay, your account's been uploaded. Your check has been deposited. There's nothing personal other than how much you like your phone. Exactly. Okay. Well, if,
0: if we think about it, every time I talk to a, a bank about branches, you know, she would be killing branches everything else. And they talk about uh, transactions going down. They talk about these are important for the consumer for there to be a branch. They talk about generational differences. And I say, wait a minute, think about it. One of the reasons we have branches is to extend that brand, to to look larger than we maybe physically are. You know, if you have a thousand branches versus a guy across the street who's the same size from an asset perspective, but they've only got 20 branches, you're going to look like a bigger bank.
1: Absolutely. Interesting in branding. Uh, I recently moved some money out of a brokerage into Capital One because of the mobility, and they say I can uh-huh. get free withdrawals from an ATM, and it's in the supermarket. I'm here in Durham, North Carolina, in one of my local supermarkets. So I go to the supermarket and look uh-huh. everywhere. I can't find a Capital One ATM. There's an ATM with a different exactly. brand name on it, so I didn't understand, exactly. so I went and back. Bank
0: of, of America's success. Oh, sorry, go
3: ahead.
1: Yeah, I, I went back, and I, I didn't get the money that day. And I went back again, and, and I went to the customer service desk at the at the supermarket. It's a Harris Teeter, fabulous store. And I said, where's the Capital One ATM? They said, we only have one ATM. Try it again. So I went and put my Capital One card in, and it said, welcome, Capital One customer. It wasn't their ATM, Jerry. There was no Capital well, One correct. brand on it. It was somebody exactly. else's bank, but I still got the opportunity without a service fee to take cash out of that ATM. That was confusing to me, and to me, it should have had their sticker on it somewhere. It should have. Because- and by the way,
0: in, in, two, in 2009, the ex-Fed chair, Paul Volcker, uh, this is 2009, by the way, after online banking had really taken off. Yes. He came out with a statement that said the last, the last useful thing that banks created in the, in the past 20 years was the ATM. Ah. That, that tells you something about the importance, if you ask Bank of America customers yes. why they bank with that particular institution, they all say ATM. the availability of the, of the ATMs.
1: Yes, and that goes back to that we're still a cash economy. We still need cash for stuff. Absolutely. We need it for tips. We need Absolutely. it for things. I tip my hairdresser in cash because I found out they charge her to 3%. If I put the tip on the, on the credit card for the whole service, which is big – she gets charged a couple of cents out of her tip, so I started giving. So I need cash every week. Anyway, no, I don't go to the hairdresser every exactly. week. Penny Crossman. I have another one. This is something we really have to get to. Your prediction number four: data breaches. This is we haven't touched. We touched on trust a little bit, Usman. We just talked about uh, trust in blockchain, establishing trust among entities. But Penny, this may be our last prediction. Uh, we might have time for one more. Data breaches. You say an increase in data breaches will cause a retro backlash. Everybody, listen retro. Backlash, in which some consumers want to put their money in a bank with a nearby branch. This is all tying in nicely. Penny, are we in that era of fear, of backlash? Is it coming soon?
2: Well, you know, I, I'm going out on a limb here. This is a personal opinion. I'm not hearing anybody else say this. But, but in my personal opinion, we're currently in an era of data breach fatigue. And not long ago, Capital One had a data breach uh, within Amazon Web Services Cloud, in which 106 million people had personal records uh, breached. And that included social security numbers, email addresses, a lot of information that could be used for identity theft and other, you know, count takeover and mm-hmm. other kinds of crime. And people didn't really bat an eye over it. I mean, there were a few articles, mm-hmm. but I really didn't hear anybody, you know, outside of the workplace talking about it. It just wasn't a big deal, you know, and a few years ago we had a big breach with Equifax, which is one of the big credit bureaus yes. that that made a bigger splash, I think, because they hold so much sensitive information for everybody but But my point is, I feel like we've had so many breaches that people just figure, Oh, it's another breach, but I think when we start seeing breaches at some of the Challenger banks and some of the fintechs and And people start having more real cases of identity theft and account takeover where money is actually drained out of their accounts. And a lot of the Mm -hmm. challenger banks only offer a debit card. And if a debit card Mm. is used to perpetuate fraud, it's much harder to claw your money back. Yes. And I think that also some of the newer providers – Don't have as strong a capability yet for customer service when somebody does have fraud on their account. Mm -hmm. So it can be hard to get your problem resolved when you have, uh, you know, your card is suddenly used at a a bank in a, 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 a a you know store in Alabama when you're in New York. And so I just think we're likely to reach a point where people start really being burned by some of these instances of fraud and they start going back to the regular banks where they feel like at least there's sort of a system in place for dealing with it and for, um, you know, the banks have been very used to this for years. So they will just tell you, we're putting a stop on your account. We're issuing you a new card. You're going to be okay. You know, they're just very oh, yeah. used to that whole um, scenario. So, uh, you know, again, I'm going out on a limb, but I just think that that's very possible that that um, people start wanting that physical connection we were talking about before, where there's actually yes. a branch you can go to, and mm-hmm. there's a person you know <laughs> you can talk to and say, "Please help me." Um, so I just think we could we could see that kind of um, backlash
1: interesting we had to have that we had to talk about that petty that was very important and I'm glad you went out on the limb on here on my show technology revolution because that's what we're talking about that's what we want to know so thank you for that Usman I'm looking at your predictions here I want to go back to uh, I think we're focusing on the consumer now so I want to stay away from your big data one but I would like to go back to your one about artificial intelligence and machine learning will be everywhere could you just briefly expand that for us and then we'll get one more from Jerry and then we're gonna wrap it up so Usman give me a little bit about AI and ML, please.
4: Sure. So, artificial intelligence and and machine learning is, is basically around cognitive computing. Uh, this is where uh, whether it's speech recognition, whether it's through computer vision, and whether it's uh, just just looking at the 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 data that's available in the system and using that uh, that structured data along with other sources of data that may be available. Such as you know the 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 shopping pattern, the, the the social data that's available, combining the structured and the unstructured data to to make decisions automatically without again human interaction. And a lot of this in in the finance industry is used in in the budget and forecast cycles, where it's using predictive analysis to to give the finance executive the the answers uh, immediately. Uh, rather than them having to, uh, to 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 query that uh, at the end of the month, as an example.
1: Thank you very much. And Jerry, let's see if we can squeeze one more in. We've got four minutes left. Uh, Jerry Selva, let's see. Um, let's go with quantum computing, Jerry. I like this one. You say quantum computing will achieve something that blockchain and 5G haven't practical use cases will solve problems in financial services that cannot be solved by traditional computing today. So let's let's turn this into the computing side of the equation. Jerry, what does this all mean mm-hmm. to us, please?
0: Well, first I first have to say that I'm actually a closet physicist um, by hobby. So, so quantum computing... Uh,
1: <laughs> Never heard that one before. <laughs>
0: <Okay>. <laughs> and, uh, so, I mean, it's, it's funny. Very few people are writing about this. But quantum computing... Has gone leaps and bounds in terms of not only the physical aspects of the actual quantum computers, which are at this point are still way too expensive, way too onerous from an infrastructure perspective to actually deploy by any single institution, but cloud has come to the rescue. And so today you can actually, you can actually perform calculations on an IBM five qubit quantum computer, which mm. if you, I won't go into the background, but if you look at what happens in quantum mechanics, it's, it's spooky. It's, it, it, it defies reason in the way it makes calculations. But that's what gives it that exponential uh, performance uh, upgrade over traditional computing. But what I have seen is some simulation, simulators uh, produced by a couple of vendors where you're using actual quantum algorithms, stuff that will eventually be able to run on real quantum computers. And it's solving a number of problems called combinatorial problems. If you think about you know, the salesman problem, if I live in Boston and I have to visit 10 cities as a salesperson, there are three million, over 3 million ways I can possibly visit those 10 cities. If I then have to include the return trip to Boston, that number goes to 30 million, over 30 million different combinations doing that. A bank in the UK is actually using that algorithm to solve uh, essentially balancing portfolio balancing for high liquidity assets. And because the traditional computers take so long to figure out that kind of a problem, they're able to do it on a quantum computer. I think it was 300 times faster. And so even though quantum physically is not yet here, will be soon, the fact that you can simulate quantum algorithms on, on bespoke uh, computing platforms, high-performance computing platforms, and solve real-life problems that just can't be solved today, uh, I think is very exciting and just will get even better going forward.
1: It is exciting. Thank you very much. I have two minutes left. I'm going to do a quick question, a lightning round question around the panel. We still have Penny Crossman with us and Usman Ajaz, and Jerry Silva. So for all of you, quick question. We didn't prepare this. We didn't plan for it. So just put on your thinking cap. We've had the crystal ball viewpoint for the whole show. So the question is, will we find a new word for the word bank between now and 2025? Because bank still means I go to a bank. Now we're talking fintech. We're talking all kinds of tech, digital neobanks, challenger banks, will we come up with a new word? Will it be maybe the penny? Penny, I'm borrowing your first name because a penny served as a penny earned. Somebody used that Benjamin Franklin quote on the radio show with me yesterday. So, Penny, what will we be calling banks or will it still be banking banks by 2025? Penny, then Usman, then Jerry, and then I'm going to wrap up. we got a minute and a half. Go ahead, Penny, fast. Uh,
2: this is a hard question. <laughs> maybe financial
1: partner or money manager Okay, Usman, you got one word or two words for banks for 2025?
4: I think I just gave "it bank." I think that that core words not changed.
1: Okay, Jerry, new word or not?
0: No, banking is like a is like a hot air balloon, not a jet plane. So it it'll take a while. Not by 2025, it'll still be a bank.
1: Okay, then we might need to exchange that next time you all come together with me to 2030. We'll see if we get a new word by then. I want to thank my panelists. You've all been wonderful. We've been speaking with Penny Crossman, American banker. Penny, so nice to reconnect with you. You're so smart and so savvy, and I appreciate you going out on a limb with your predictions. Brett King, wish you were still here with us. He's the host of the Breaking Banks podcast on right here, voiceamerica.com, the business channel, one of my producer colleagues, and he had to leave us for health reasons, but we're so glad he was with us for the first half. Usman Ajaz at Deloitte Consulting, such a pleasure to get to know you. Thank you for your work. And shout out again to Carla Neal Slavin at Deloitte for always bringing me such interesting people. And Jerry Silva, what can I say? Recovering banker, it doesn't get any more real than that. I want to tell everybody that next week here on Tech Revolution, the future of now, we'll have an interesting topic again. Grocery expiration date. I'm not talking about your milk. I'm not talking about the cantaloupe. I'm not talking about, I don't know, the flower in aisle 12. We're talking about the actual grocery store concept. Automate or Die, Brick Meets Click. Great panel, great show. Hope you'll join me here next Wednesday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, here on Technology Revolution, The Future of Now. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Shout-out to Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire at the Business Channel, and my co-producer, Ryan Treasure at Voice America. Have a great day, everybody. Remember, The Future of Now is up to you. Bye-bye.